Hey, who made you a disc jockey? Welcome from all of us to all of you. If you want to know how glad we are to have you with us, just you listen. Hi, and welcome to the Crisis on Infinite Midlands podcast. I'm Rob. I'm Amanda. It's episode 154. A uh, few, thing, few things up front. First of all, this is probably going to be a slightly shorter show than usual. I personally apologize for that. I had a plan for this episode. I had a plan for this weekend. We're just talking about comics again because it's still going to be a couple weeks until Spider-Man Homecoming comes out. Yes. So it was just, yeah, all right, we'll talk about four or five books. And I had a long week at the day job. So Saturday, I'm just going to relax on my ass watching television and movies and drinking beer, which I did. So that part of the plan worked. That part of the plan rarely fails me. <laughs> the other part of the plan was, yeah, you know what? I'm going to get up after a solid eight hours sleep, go straight to the computer, and put together a bunch of notes on all of these books so it's a nicely structured show. We know exactly what we're going to say. And then at something around 5.30 in the morning, Parker, the Crisis on Infinite Midlife's uh, mascot cat, decided he was bored and lonely. Well, he thought he had earned it after yesterday informing you of both the leaking dehumidifier and ants in the basement. We'll get to that in a minute. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, you brought up just before the show. Uh, owning the home office, you, you said it. <laughs> I'm really beginning to de- develop a, a greater appreciation for the Amityville horror story. Yeah. It's, <laughs> I moved into the place. It's, it's just there's a couple of things wrong with the place. It's not really actively trying to kill us, right? Right. <laughs> Yeah, it's, I can't prove it's the walls that are bleeding. It could be in the space above the ceiling leaking from the walls, but... The insects in the house have nothing to do with any sort of, like, decaying evil that they're attracted to. It's just, you know, it's been raining a lot, so the water's pushing the ants in. <laughs> yes, we've had tiny little ants, which don't bother me, because I'm a dude, and I've lived with other dudes, so I've lived in what amounts to squalor, where you're literally going around just stomping on the centipedes and be like, eh. We rent. I'm not going to do anything to fix this. See, I, I thought I hated ants. And one time uh, when I was a kid, I caught my sister trying to microwave one, which I, I don't think is on the list of, of things that make you a sociopath, but it's concerning. Oh, trust me. It shows up somewhere in the DSM-5. I mean, it's not like bedwetting or lighting fires. Oh, thank God. I'd be institutionalized. <laughs> <laughs> but it was concerning. Anyway, um, ants. I don't like them. <laughs> All right, so we'll... So we'll move to, <laughs> yes, yesterday Parker was a good kid. <laughs> yesterday we were down in uh, the the basement where we do the recording, the studio, and uh, I saw Parker nosing around over by the humidifier and the outflow pipe for the air conditioner. Uh, because God forbid we have the simple expediency that we used to have at the old home office of oh condensation from the air conditioner just dumps on the floor because it's the garage and there's a drain and fuck it. <laughs> no, this has to be outflow. And sure enough, this pipe is has been leaking water, and so it's all moist, and there's a bunch of ants over there. Not a huge deal, and I think I got it fixed, but between that and the windows upstairs that started leaking three weeks ago that we have to have contractors come in and fix, it it feels like there's nothing in this house that holds water that actually fucking works. What is that feeling I'm I'm experiencing? Oh, it's it's a constant damp and and malaise. (laughs) Yeah, and and ennui. And pissy pants. I mean, at this point, so much stuff leaks in this house, I'm surprised I can hold my bladder when I walk in the front door. <laughs> oh, is that a water feature? Funny story. <laughs> 
But I, apparently this had been going on for a while. There was a little staining, and I would never have known if Parker, the, the mascot cat, hadn't gone over to sniff around there. So we cleaned up the bugs and sprayed, and like I said, I think I have that fixed. So hey, all right, awesome. Get a great night's sleep tonight, and tomorrow prep all day. And then Parker decided at 5.30 in the morning, hey, the sun's up, and there are things outside that I would like to see. So he's scratching at the blinds in the bedroom like some kind of spastic. And it's the kind of blinds that make a great deal of noise. Yes. So I give you credit. You got up and opened it. And then he said, no, not this blind. This one at the other window. <laughs> so he's smacking at that. So I get up and pick him up and put him down and jumps right back up. And then he's nosing around stuff on my dresser. And I'm like, well, I know for a fact I have things like containers of ink and other things that we consider modern conveniences, but which the cat would consider to be poison. So... <laughs> Finally, I'm like, fine, fuck you. I'm up. I'll feed you. (laughs) Just brain dead watching television for three or four hours until Amanda finally gets up. And then we think, okay, great. It's because, yeah, you slept in because I distracted him. I got him the fuck away from you. It was a a big old night of of John Wick 2. And I've been making Sauvignon Blanc and crushed ice squishies. That's that's my new jam. Because (laughs) because we're healthy and have good habits. (laughs) What do you want to do on Saturday night? Oh, I think I'd like to repurpose a child street and turn it into a metabolic poison and watch people die on my television. <laughs> Can we work that out? So I fell asleep on the couch sometime around one thirty, and then I, I woke up today at 10.30. Yeah, so long story short. I'm a responsible adult. <laughs> We've never been responsible adults. It's not likely to start. Responsible for my own cirrhosis. Yeah, that will show up somewhere on some certificate of something. Yeah. Long, long story short, we were able to get some prep together, but I was zonked out on the couch, unable to function for about four or five hours this afternoon. So we do have a show for you. It's just not quite as long as I would have originally hoped. The second thing is, uh, yeah, it's going to be a truncated show this weekend. Surprise, we're probably going to be dark next weekend. <laughs> uh, it's the 4th of July Independence Day weekend in the United States. So there's going to be a bunch of stuff going on. So it's unlikely we'll be able to find time to tape. But uh, But you never know. Uh, but yeah, probably not. Yeah, you never know. It's it's possible. But for right now, yeah, assume there won't be a show next weekend. And if it shows up in your RSS feed, you should really subscribe to the show. Uh, if you don't, uh, go to our home <laughs> website, crisisoninfinitemidlives.com. There's uh, like eight, eight different ways you could do it. <laughs> that's uh, smooth. I don't hype the subscription all that often, but every <laughs> once in a while, remind people that uh, it's very simple to have this... Uh, <laughs> This high-budget, well-planned program just show up on your phone and or device and or computer every week, completely free of charge, and remember that when you start bitching about the quality of this show. Anyway. Did you mention that Parker woke you up for the second time today by throwing himself headlong into our sliding glass door trying to get a chipmunk? Uh, I, I did not, but you could tell that story better than he I could since off I was asleep. Of that. Like, it, I, I was genuinely... Can, can a cat give himself a concussion? Like, uh, We're going to find out. There, there is a, a chipmunk that has been coming by with uh, frequency, and I'm beginning to worry that it's developed some sort of sentience or something, because he, he just knows that Parker can't get out, and he just sits out there and is like, fuck you, cat. <laughs> and Parker gets all worked up. Yeah, and today it was enough. He, he threw himself into the glass door trying to get the chipmunk. It, it really was like... <laughs> It's, what did you do? It's it's like a scene from like Alien Three as they're trying to get the door closed and Parker's like whack. Get away from her, you bitch! <laughs> we have an insane cat. We do. And he really fucked up my Sunday. I'm sorry. That's all right. He's a good boy. He found the leak. <laughs> it's probably upstairs pissing in the sink, making things worse, eating through other pipes. It's possible. It's possible. Uh so the other uh, potentially 
big news is we have quasi confirmation that it looks like we might actually be getting uh, San Diego Comic Con passes for our missing days. We have received our main passes, so we're we're good for Thursday and Sunday, and we'll do some kind of programming uh, from San Diego Comic Con and uploading from there. At least around those days, we're still trying to work out the details. We're going to be in the Hyatt. Be afraid. Be very afraid. Oh, good. Tell people where to find us. <laughs> Come with a pitchfork and torches. You're doing a short, it's slow a to sleep, you pricks. Big hotel. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> there are far better targets of opportunity. So I want to kill a famous person. A lot the of tiny degenerates. Pod, the, lot- <laughs> the tiny podcast hosts or the movie stars. A lot of degenerates sit at the bar. It's not completely classy. <laughs> they let us in. We've never been ejected from there. That's true. But you got to have goals. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we, we've mentioned we had uh, know somebody who knows somebody who might have a connection somewhere to hook up with additional badges. As uh, Look, no, we can't get any for you. <laughs> I don't even know where these are coming from. It's They're coming from fourth-hand source and there will be some kind of quid pro quo transaction. I'm not sure what it's going to work out to. Yeah, I think there's going to be some sort of handoff in a briefcase outside of Temecula. I Yeah, I mean, for all I know, we're going to get index cards with Rob and Amanda written on them in a Sharpie. <laughs> or maybe a big bag of weed. I really don't know. Will that get us into Comic-Con? Uh, if you go to the right door, yeah. Will it, will it have an RFID? <laughs> well, Kevin Smith's there, so with a, speaking of quid pro quo, we could probably get something to work out. Yes, it looks like we'll be able to probably be there from each day. Now, we have a bandwidth cap of what we can upload for episodes. So Amanda and I are kind of working on trying to figure out, do we do one show? Uh, the last time we did it, we had a different plan. So we could just upload shows at, at mm. will. Do we want to do a bunch of short shows? Do we want to do a couple? Do we want to mix them way down so the sound quality is not quite as good, but they don't take it? We'll, we'll figure something out, and we will advise as San Diego Comic-Con gets closer. But yeah, it looks like we'll be able to provide total coverage, <laughs> to quote Hunter S. Thompson. Oh, <laughs> Somebody was giving booze to these goddamn things. Anyway, so yes, <laughs> speaking of Sharpies. We were somewhere outside the Hilton when the fear began to take hold. We were somewhere outside the Hilton where we were <laughs> seized and arrested, as we <laughs> rightfully should be. But yes, I had mentioned a Sharpie. <laughs> <laughs> you did. Amanda has mentioned over the last couple of episodes... Uh, about official Crisis on Infinite Midlife sure. podcast t-shirts. <laughs> Please describe what we have been offering. Um, Mostly facetiously. You get a t-shirt that may or may not have been purchased from the dollar store and may or may not smell like gasoline, on which uh, the words, fuck yeah, Steve Trevor, or Steve Trevor, fuck yeah. It really sort of depends on my day. Um, <laughs> will be scrawled in Sharpie, possibly with an illustration, or I don't think there'll be any bloodstains. Uh, some form of wearable rag would be provided, I believe, was the uh, <laughs> was the actual terms of the deal. And we said it mostly facetiously. No, you said it mostly facetiously. I, I just want friends. <laughs> so lonely. I didn't, what am I, Wiley Coyote? <laughs> just chasing you through the streets? Please, Amanda! Yes, the next you're going to hire Lobo. <laughs> we'll talk about that book later. <laughs> just this horrible symbiotic relationship. Of pain and depression and pursuit. <laughs> but anyway, somebody took us up on it. <laughs> uh, yes, uh, a listener, uh, Matt from Indiana, emailed and asked for a shirt. And by God, we said we would do one. So we're doing something. We're trying to do something special with this first one. 
If somebody else wants a t-shirt, Amanda swears that she'll come up with something. I will. It might involve finger paints. Uh, yeah, it's finger paints. Uh, j- yeah, just a Sharpie with fuck yeah, whatever written on it. Parker might puke on something. Who knows? You Par- don't know what you're going to get. Parker's probably puking on something right now. We're not going to send vomit <laughs> through the mail, and I'm not paying for FedEx. So no, we're not going to send <laughs> biological material <laughs> to somebody you're who's no kind, kind enough to listen to this shit show that we put together every week. <laughs> Suck the joy just right out of it. But yeah, for, for this first t-shirt, we're trying to do something special. If other people want t-shirts... Okay, we'll either do something goofy on a one-by-one basis, or we can uh, look into putting something together. I'm just fucking psyched one person actually wanted one. Matt, you're the shit, dude. We're trying to put something cool together for you. We'll we'll be in touch in, it will be cool. in a few days. So, yeah, if you want a t-shirt, crisisoninfinitemidlives at gmail.com, let us know. <laughs> Maybe it won't we'll, involve cat puke, as far as you know. Uh, we'll make people sign a waiver of some kind. <laughs> See? No fun. None. <laughs> Fuck you, man. I'm lots of fun. When did you stop being cool? You used to be cool. Uh, <laughs> I'm just starting on my first fine Berkshire Brewing Company Steel Rail Pale Ale. <laughs> Actually, it's Lost Sailor IPA this week. Give me three more, and I'll be cool again. Okay. So I'll be fine. All right. Pause for beer. Mm, beer. How's that going? Mm, intoxicating. <laughs> so yeah, that's all the upfront news. All right, we'll talk about a few books. Sure. Uh, we've got... Possibly many. Depends on how in-depth we go into the Looney Tunes ones. Okay. But yeah, let's start off with a... I swear to God, it feels like we're constantly talking about Tom King's Batman. Like we have since he started out. It feels like at least every couple of weeks. We've talked about the last three or four issues in a row. Yes. This is Batman 25, by the way, written by Tom King, art by uh, Mikkel uh, Janin. What kind of parents would name their kid that? Somehow I can never seem to pronounce his this name. This is uh, an extra-sized anniversary issue. Ooh. As with the, was the Superman this week. Uh, what anniversary? At 25, they've been doing know. it twice monthly. That makes it the 13th month. 13th anniversary doesn't strike me as one to yell. Hey, look, it gave, it gave extra pages for, for what it's worth on this one. I mean, anniversary of, uh, I, don't, I don't know. I think it's just the anniversary of 25th. It's a roundish number. Yeah. I don't know. The Superman is all the way across the room, so I can't compare. Well, it's it's all right. That's my guess. <laughs> Doesn't matter. I, I enjoyed the Superman. We're not I, we're not talking about the Superman. <laughs> I too enjoyed the Superman. We're talking about Batman. They put we, Manchester Black's brain into a cow, and then they tipped it. <laughs> that was a nice riff on the old uh, Fantastic Four <laughs> scroll story. Yeah, but. Again, we're not talking about that one. But it was good, and you should go read it. Yes, you should be reading Superman anyway. Superman's kicked ass since Rebirth. We've talked about that repeatedly. (laughs) But somehow it's Batman we always keep talking about. We keep coming back to Batman. And the best I can figure is, quality-wise, this book is really, it's all over the place. Sometimes it is spectacular. Mm. Sometimes it's mopey emo. Mm. Sometimes it's all of those things in a single issue. So... (laughs) Sometimes you don't want to see how the sausage gets made. <laughs> that's how I feel about Batman 25. The last page, <laughs> the last page of this book, uh, I don't want any part of whatever sausage is going on there. <laughs> that's not... <laughs> I, I will say I, I enjoyed this book mostly. <laughs> I, I distinctly remember you saying yesterday, it's like, I really liked it until that last fucking page. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Because somehow Tom King... You know, brings back the menace of the Joker and 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 holds it there nicely in tension with somehow making the Riddler seem like an actual badass. Yeah, the Riddler 
And and it's weird. We've been on record. You and I were not particular fans of Zero Year, yeah. which was, uh, yeah, in the last few years, the big Riddler story yep. that I kind of started tuning in and out of. That was the one part of uh, Scott Snyder's run that I really sort of, I missed a couple issues. I mean, it's on my polls. I have them all, but a couple, it's like, uh, I just, I'm not all that interested this yeah. week. Yeah, I mean, previous to that, uh, before New 52, yeah, Riddler had become a, a detective, mm. sort of a, uh, an extended member of the Batman family, you know, the, like your weird drunk uncle. He's like, you, you might be able to count on him. He might piss in your radiator. Or, <laughs> yeah, it's hard to tell, but he was sort of uh, had I, turned around. I don't think I have any uncles like that. I think I might be that uncle. Yes, you're. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why we don't go to any family events yeah, anymore. Yeah. But and then and then um, so you have this whole story. Do you want to summarize the story? We're going to spoil the shit out of these books. We say that every week. Yeah, yeah, you should know by now. But yeah, here's your official warning. Uh, yeah, the the conceit here is that Riddler decides that he should propose to the Joker that they team up to kill Batman. The theory being that neither one of them, they each considers themselves Batman arch nemesis. One of them is wrong, <laughs> uh, but they each consider themselves Batman's arch nemesis, and neither one would be able to accept if the other killed Batman. So if they work together, they can both be satisfied. Joker doesn't feel the same way and shoots him in the stomach. But, well, you know. But And yeah, the, the theory is Riddler has been in jail since zero years, sort of quasi-helping the police in exchange for favors. Joker is out doing weird crimes, murdering, like we see him murder a bunch of stand-up comics in a comedy club uh, called the Joke Factory, which is not a place that you should go. It's, <laughs> no. number, number one, it's bullshit, because Amanda, you and I were stand-up comics, mm. and we live in a major city known for comedy, and Boston hasn't been able to support a dedicated comedy club since about 2004. Well, no. However, that being said, knowing what I do know about stand-up comedy. If somebody had placed an ad on Craigslist saying, come perform solo for me, you'll be paid. Presumably there's some hope of payment. Um, you know how many people would show up because there can be a giant circle jerk of the same people. Oh God. Yeah. We had going to, to any opportunity to perform in the mid nineties. There were open cattle call auditions in Boston at the comedy connection, which has since closed where it was uh, yeah, you come up and do two minutes worth of comedy, uh, for a chance to do a nighttime showcase for another chance to go to the Aspen comedy festival. <laughs> and there would be literally 200 acts. Yeah. People from all around new England, New York comics would show up to try to circumvent the big names in New York. So, yeah, all right, I can see how a bunch of people yeah, would follow it. Uh, what is this? It's a chance to showcase for an internationally known comic figure? Sure. Because <laughs> you know that's how he put yeah, the Yeah, totally, totally. But, I mean, the other thing, it's called the Joke Factory in Gotham. You should just call it supervillain fucking crime scene. You should... <laughs> It's like going to a, a little on the nose. It's like going to a comedy club called the Nine Eleven in New York. It's it, why would you go there? You'd go to the the Ice House Comedy Club or the I, something for Mister Freeze. I'm still a little tired today. It's not as bad as last week. It's but, okay. Get that beer down your head. All right. Thank Just get you. it down your head and try not to think about the fact that. Uh, the the Joker is having difficulty laughing at his own joke, which is in fact that they are actually dying up there. Yeah. <laughs> 
That's true. <laughs> but yeah, that's a conceit through the whole thing. The Joker can't laugh. Because in order to laugh, you have to not know the punchline. You have to not know how the joke ends. And the way the joke always ends is a man dressed as Dracula punches you in the neck. And you wind up... <laughs> and then you're in the asylum and again. you wind up loaded with Thorazine for a while. Or you find yourself in a secret cave inside the Bat Cave writing numbers on a wall. But that's, that's a different book. Yeah, no, that's, yeah, that's <laughs> happening over in, a, in the Forge. So yeah. once again, we've got weird continuity issues. This time it's DC instead of Marvel, which is nice. But I'm willing to... Ex- <laughs> it's not predictable. You can laugh at it. I'm willing, to accept, I'm willing to accept both. Yes, that is how we get here. And then supposedly when the Joker rejects the Riddler's kind offer with a 44 Magnum... He takes yeah. it well. Uh, the Riddler manages to escape, redoubling Riddler's commitment to kill Batman. Batman comes in right after it happens. The Joker has escaped with a bomb the Riddler brought, and Batman deliberately turns his back and leaves the Riddler there to die to go mm. save other people. Well, the Riddler doesn't die, and now he's doubly pissed at Batman, and he's pissed at the Joker, so it's the beginning of the war of jokes and riddles as these two try to wipe each other out in order to get at Batman. And that's just where we start to get into the story, and then it's pillow talk. Yeah, then then the last page of the book is Bruce, well, not Bruce Wayne, because he really sees himself as Batman. Damn right. Goddamn right. Can't call Selena by her name because it gives him, I don't know, the feels or something. And <laughs> so again, it's it's cat nobody understands me. <laughs> nobody and let me tell you about this story about the war of jokes and riddles. It's like who is this puling man child and what did they do with Batman? He's Grandpa Simpson. Let me tell you about the time. Christ's sake. I mean no, just just emo it up again. Go listen to a fucking chemical romance fucking CD or audition for the vagina monologue. <laughs> the fuck? Yeah, it's not for everybody. <laughs> uh, Nobody understands me. I am, and we talked about this with the last issue, I am sincerely mixed on the whole concept of this impending relationship marriage. In no way do I think Batman and Catwoman are going to wind up together. No. But I think you're right. The the emo Batman pieces of this are getting a little old. And we discussed yeah. it uh, with issue 24. There are great stories to be had. And there have been great stories in King's Run about examining why a relatively rational adult would be Batman. Yeah. <laughs> but after a certain point, I opened Batman wanting to see a clown get kicked in the neck. Yeah. That's part of the draw. That's to be honest, about 60% of the draw. Sometimes it's the only way I can come anymore. <laughs> oh, have I said too much? I do the best I can. <laughs> what, what do you want from me? <laughs> Son of a... Oh, I wish I was dead. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm beginning to get turned over to your point of view of, uh, yeah, that, there's too much of a good thing, and there's been some good stories about Batman trying to open up and understand and explain why he is the way he is. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure I want much more of it, but at the same time, I think there's some promise to this. You know, the Riddler versus Joker, yeah. both versus Batman in some way or another. There could be some tension there. And like you said, King made Riddler legitimately seem threatening for mm. the first time that I've been engaged enough to really pay attention to. Yeah, It's genuinely creepy when Riddler escapes Blackgate just by knowing 
the names of all the kids of the guards. Yeah. Doesn't make a threat. Just says child's name, child's name, child's name, and they just back they just off and part. let him walk out. <laughs> you know, there were some actual good riddles in here. Yeah. I'd never heard the, uh, you know, how, how come the, the end of the world never comes for you? Because it's round. Oh, all right. That's clever. Particularly in the context of not just a death trap, leaping over a table to stab a cop. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a feat of physical agility one does not typically see from the Riddler, which helps with the badass piece. Look, Frank Gorsham was a pimp, but <laughs> he wasn't in Cirque du Soleil. I don't think anybody's ever said that sentence before. Well, <laughs> it's good to be the first, and I, I'm concerned I mispronounced his name, but it doesn't matter. Yeah, I'm really on, I'm of mixed feelings about the overall... Using the relationship as a way to do a flashback to an earlier Batman story, I'm okay with as long as we keep more of a focus on the earlier Batman story. Yes. Let's face it. It's for all this emo stuff, we still had Batman crashing in a window. We still had the Joker killing a bunch of innocents. We had the Riddler being threatening. That's good shit. Yes. A half-naked therapy session with a master criminal thief. Uh, All right, let's keep that to a dull roar, and I think we'll be okay. Maybe if I tell her about the, the story of the war of jokes and riddles, she'll learn something about me, such as I'm, I'm going to have to have her take the wet spot. I'm, <laughs> but if I keep talking, maybe she'll just be too polite to say anything. Cat, <laughs> once upon a time, I kicked the Joker's ass. Where are you going? <laughs> Amanda, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> You always step up when I, when I play that, that song. I, I like try. That. You do. I try. So, I mean, is this a recommendation or not? It's, I liked, I agree with you. I liked everything up until that last page, and I think I am a little bit more forgiving of this possible relationship than you. In the same way, I was more forgiving of Peter Parker dying and Dr. Octopus becoming Peter Parker. I knew it, it's not going to last. It's a thing that's happening now. Mm. It's not going to be the status quo. I can live through this if it, leads to good story and there's promising shit at the beginning of this story whatever he does i would like him to the the writer tom king i would like him to work a little bit harder on the whole showing rather than telling because even within the parts where it's the riddler and the joker the riddler feels like he has to explain why he's doing what he's doing and that's it was expedient for the purposes of this issue but at yeah. the same time, it's it's a bad habit to be in. And then to frame it further with, this is Bruce telling this story because he has to explain how his brain works or what he's capable of doing to Selena. I think she knows what he's capable of doing. <laughs> uh, they would, live in the same town. They, they've seen each other in action. They have punched each other and yes. kicked each <laughs> other. Yeah, I think everybody knows what everybody's capable of. And I totally agree with you on the... Uh, on the bat- yeah, Batman... Explaining his own motives doesn't make any sense. No. I'm okay with it with Riddler, because I forget what the first appearance that he made was, but I mean, the first thing he did when he showed up after Batman caught him, he just felt compelled to explain why he was doing it, yeah. which was... I burn my family alive, and I like to light things on fire. <laughs> you go I, days without sleep to figure out how to drop that in there. <laughs> I'll find a way every time. <laughs> I mean, it was it was awesome the first time I did it because you were genuinely overjoyed. Now just the light in your <laughs> eyes goes out. It's like, fuck, he did it to me again. <laughs> but I think my point does stand. If there is a Batman villain who 
has monologued himself over history, it has been Riddler. Monologued himself, certainly. But again, the man's name is the Riddler. He's not going to be straight about his motivations, or he shouldn't be. So to say to the Joker, let's team up, bro. (laughs) And here's why. That I will agree with. That is a little bit. That's a little bit off. Yeah. But it, yeah, if there is a Batman villain, I'm, I'm willing to accept, you know, let me demonstrate to you, particularly at the end. And yeah. I think that's that's where you're dead right here, because this is at the beginning. Maybe not in his head. He's escaped from prison, and now he's with Joker. But yes, when he's done something that he thinks is he's gotten over on everybody, I think he's going to feel compelled to monologue. Yes. Which makes for good exposition for the reader, because it's... I think it's character based. He has to, his whole thing is, I'm going to show you that you're not as smart as I am. Yes. And then he will brag about it afterwards. The timing here, uh, yes, being an upfront offer to show how smart he is, that feels a little off. I can understand that, but I can also accept it because of, I can see him saying, I can't believe, (laughs) no, I can firmly believe you've never thought of this Joker, but I thought of it and doesn't it make total sense? And of course, Joker, it doesn't matter how much sense it makes. It doesn't matter how smart he is. The Joker's going to be, eh, boom. <laughs> That's not funny either, and now I must shoot you. Yes. So yeah, I mean, I'm encouraged by the, the concept of the story. I'm encouraged by a legitimately threatening Riddler. Yeah, if we can keep the pillow talk therapy sessions at the end to do a minimum, then I'm okay with that. Okay. Any, anything else on this? Any other observations? or No. Oh, one other thing. Yeah. Even though I can never pronounce his name, Janin's art, he does really good Batman art. The one thing that struck out to me was there were two double-page layouts in the the moment where Riddler meets Joker. And one of them shows two-thirds of the room with just Riddler at the left. Yeah, I had a question about that layout, actually. Okay. Well, no, the same question, because it it looks like it ought to be... All right, so I, I see... The room, and I see a couch, and then there's a, a Shakespearean bust. And so at first my thought was, um, is, is this sort of a Wayne penthouse? <laughs> but then in the next moment, the couch goes away, because it seems to be the same space based on the, the, the trim on the walls. And then there's a, the bust goes away, the couch goes away, and then there's a chair and a desk. So did it flip up from the floor? Did it, like, no, where did actually, it come from? <laughs> actually, what I think it is, uh, and I'd have to pull the book apart to look, the more I think about it, yeah, it's not two-thirds on one and two-thirds on another. I think this is really a four-page spread. So if you were to take the pages out and lay them side by side by side by side, it's one view of the room with the Riddler on the left and the Joker on the right behind the desk. Maybe, but I'm not inclined to, to go that way just because these you can't see this gentle re- reader, but I'm I'm putting I'm doing an awful thing to this comic book in order to make my point. This trim and this trim are the same. Okay, so it, so it is two thirds. Yeah, it's just a picture on a movie screen. First page is camera camera is pointing stage left, and then we pan to the right to yeah, get to the Joker. Except that there should be a couch and an end table between here and here. <laughs> You're, you may well be right. I think you're, I personally think you're overthinking it. I liked the effect of, to me, it felt like, yeah, a camera pan. So what it gave us was these two titans of the Batman's rogues gallery in the same space and yet separate 
each gets their own introduction, uh, like when Al Pacino and De Niro meet in Heat. Mm. You, know, you never see them on camera at the same time. They're both too big to be a part of each other's world. Well, based on the skyline, it is it is definitely intended to be further down the way. It just, I don't know, I'm, I'm missing something here. <laughs> I'm not sure what it is. And maybe I've maybe it had more of an effect on me, so I'm willing to say, oh, maybe it means something else completely different. Maybe they're talking on Skype. I don't know. <laughs> no, because then I don't think that the Riddler would have been uh, shot as easily as he was. <laughs> Probably not. I mean, Joker's got robots and minions and shit, but that's, that's neither here nor there. Maybe I was willing to overlook. It's possible Janin missed some details. It's possible. I liked the effect of it. I oh. thought it was really cool. And this is the same artist that did, and at this point I forget the issue number from a few months back, the I Am Suicide issue where it's just static shots but multiple shots of Batman to simulate Batman moving through space, fighting his way through Santa Prisca to get to Bane. Mm. So I thought it was a cool visual trick in that same vein. It was doing something cool using comics, the kind of thing you can only really do in comics. If I'm misreading it, if I'm enough, even though I can't pronounce the man's name, if I'm just enough of a fan of his art to give him a pass on things, I apologize. But that that's what I took it for. It was camera starts left and pans right and visually says something about these two characters and their relationship or lack of relationship mm. and how each one is titanic enough to warrant their own individual introduction. I thought it was a neat visual thing. Whereas I took from it um, that now Ikea has a magic disappearing couch and end table. <laughs> so in addition to it being infuriating to put together, it has no actual object permanence. And you're just stepping on those Allen wrench screws for months because <laughs> yep. you can't find them. <laughs> Maybe I'm spending too much time on letterbox.com trying to look smart to strangers <laughs> about movies. So I've been trying to think about these visual things. Oh, but... honey, you're wicked smart. Oh, thanks. I'm, <laughs> I'm pisser. <laughs> oh. I wish I was dead. All right. So I think there's a lot of promise to this story arc. Uh, I'm hoping it continues to pan out. Okay. All right. Shall we move on to a Marvel book? Sure. (laughs) We got good Spider-Man, kids. Fun Spider-Man. Remember fun (laughs) Spider-Man? That's kind of, that's not fair to Dan Slott, who has done very well over the years with Spider-Man, although I'm not a fan of millionaire Spider-Man. Peter Parker, Spectacular Spider-Man number one, written by uh, Chip Zdarsky. What kind of parents would name their kid that? Even though I know I pronounced that one right, it's still Chip Zdarsky. What kind of parents would name their kid that? <laughs> you know what I noticed about this book? Art by Adam Kubert. Yes, what'd you notice? Um, that's just it. Chip Zdarsky is the writer. Adam Kubert is the artist. Jordi Belair is the color artist. There are no editorial credits on this book. Uh, there's a long afterword from the editor at the end. It's Nick somebody, I think. Mm-hmm. Okay. Somebody had to edit it. Presumably, but it's not, you know, where you would expect to find it. Yeah, Zdarsky has had a strong enough run on various books over the last couple of years. Oh, there it is on the last page. Okay. Yeah, to get him, uh, frankly, to get him to... Oh, no, wait. No, these are the... No, I don't mean to interrupt. I'm sorry. The the stuff that you're about... Turn the page for Spider Fight, and all of that is is for the the backstory, because it's a different artist, Goran Parlov, for this Black Widow thing. And uh, Nathan Fairbane for the colors and the letters is Travis Lanham. Again, no editorial. Well, I don't think Zdarsky has enough uh, juice to edit his own books. I mean, at Nick this Lowe point. is the editor for Spider Man, but just it's interesting. One of the things that I liked about this book is that uh, Zdarsky, Zdarsky, I was in speech therapy as a child. No, it's not your fault. What kind of parents would name their kid that? Anyway, 
when I was doing my, my therapy, I had a lisp. Wait, hold on. Oh, God. And, and well, they made us do these, like, articulation exercises. Yes. That sounded a lot like, like, you had to move from, like, a ch sound to a ts sound to a ts sound. And you had to do it quickly with a certain amount of fluidity. And I, so it would, it would start to sound like Jason coming after you in Friday the 13th. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I was just having a flashback to how I couldn't pronounce stuff and had to get pulled out of class with <laughs> Harold DeRozier <laughs> when everybody else was taking art. Oh, okay. <laughs> Good story. Cool story, bro. <laughs> anyway, where I was going with this originally was these little editorial boxes that um, Nicolo apparently decided that Chip Zdarsky could write in instead of him were cute in terms of, you know, do you remember this happening from Spectacular Spider-Man? Or do you <laughs> it's, I like those a lot. It's a, those are old school, early Marvel, uh, up until probably the late 70s. Yeah, you'd get... Not silly or goofy, but you'd get little editorial. In particular, it's like, hey, yeah, go see Daredevil, whatever, true believer. Mm. So that that was an old Marvel thing. Yes. So I enjoyed it, though, just because it had a sense of humor and made me worry that perhaps Nick Lowe was tied up in a basement somewhere. <laughs> well, it's also, it reminded me a little bit of Matt Fraction's Defenders, mm. which uh, did the old, also up until the 70s, there would be lines of text underneath the actual comics panel in a page yeah. uh, that would say, you know, hey, check out uh, Daredevil wetting his own pants in fear in Man Without Fear. <laughs> and uh, yeah, he would, uh, Fraction would use those, but also with like, you know, there is no hope or like yeah. weird, weird messages. So yeah, it's clearly Zadarsky embracing that sort of goofiness. Yeah, Bronze Age hypery. Yeah. That's not a word. Uh. <laughs> He he is his own hype man. Is I think what we're saying here. He he's the flavor flav of his own book. Wow, that's damning with faint praise. <laughs> <laughs> that's almost straight up damnation. Call somebody if you're calling somebody Chip Zardsky. If you're calling somebody who isn't flavor flav, favor flav that flavor flav flavor wow. I should go. Now, who needs articulation <laughs> lessons? That somebody needs to not drink high test IPA while doing a radio show. That person is not me. I'll never stop. I never thought I'd see the day you would have difficulty articulating an F-bomb. <laughs> Pow! <laughs> I don't even remember what I was saying now. <laughs> we were talking about how this is a good book, and we really should get back on track to that. Yes, uh, we should. Uh, and first of all, I want to apologize uh, to Adam Kubert. I think I spent about half of last week's episode calling him Andy, uh, so I feel bad about that. Uh, my only excuse is my drinking problem. Okay. That's all I can say. But yeah, this is one of the best single Spider-Man issues in a while, probably yes. at least since Secret Wars. Yes. Now, like I said, I don't mean to denigrate Dan Slott. I still read Amazing Spider-Man, and I still enjoy it more often than not. But since it's become Peter Parker, the spectacular Iron Man, you know, basically with his special suit and nifty webbing and all this money and Spider-Mobile, and he's hopping around the world. And, and I get what the purpose of that was after Secret Wars. It was, well, let's let Miles Morales do the street-level stuff. In the meantime, he's dimension-hopping and has spent about as much time in New York as I have in the last two years. So that quite hasn't quite worked out. Yeah, this is even though Peter is still a multimillionaire in this book, it's not front and center the way it's been in Amazing Spider-Man. No. It gets name-checked. Yeah, he flies in a moment's notice to Chicago, but we don't see him on the private jet. It's never really 
mentioned how he gets there. So it's it's a piece of it. They talk about his special webbing and whatnot, but it's mostly it's it's just Spider Man. Yeah, he's out in the city. It's got a bunch of old school elements. You know, it's, it starts out with him talking to Johnny Storm, who historically has always been his best friend. Yeah, doing best friend goofing on each other's shit. And also taking a pot shot at his origin story because you you get the impression, oh, okay, so we're going to rehash the origin story and then Johnny Storm cuts him off. <laughs> yeah, which I thought was great because we're going to try and put together uh, a show for Spider-Man Homecoming with mm. uh, with like uh, Benari Poulton and Ross Garmel, you know, our, our normal movie crew that we bring in for the big ones. But I'm thinking it's like, you know, the Spider-Man Homecoming feels like a big deal, but it doesn't feel like that big a deal because the more you think about it, this has been six major motion pictures about Spider-Man in about 15 years. Yes. It's about one every two and a half years. It comes out almost more often. I'm trying to think of an analogy, but it's not it, uncommon. It comes out more often than some of uh, Bendis' books. Yeah. Like yeah I, the, I think I've seen more, uh, more movies about Spider-Man than I've seen issues of Powers in the same period of time. Powers has gotten a little better. I was going to go with Scarlet. There have literally, <laughs> I think there have literally been two Spider-Man movies since the last issue of Scarlet. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we constantly get the origin over and over again. So I love that moment here. Of it's like we all know your origin. With great power comes great opportunity, or whatever. He's. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought that was a nice little. Uh, yeah, we we don't need the. We know who Spider-Man is. Everybody knows who fucking Spider-Man is. We yes. don't need the origin again. So it just mimics a conversation that we geeks have been having for four years at this point. Yes. And it was also just good to see good old, arrogant, fun-loving Johnny Storm again. Yes. Which I don't, I haven't personally, I don't think, seen since Secret Wars. I know he's been around. Mm -hmm. He's mostly been around in books about the Inhumans and fuck the Inhumans, I don't care. Uh, I've tried one or two and great talent on those. Charles Sewell's done some. Al Ewing's doing some now. It's just, you there's nothing you can do to make me give a fuck about the Inhumans. Not even the doggy. Fuck the doggy. <laughs> I don't think you mean that. <laughs> I mean, not literally. It's a figure of speech. But all right, there's nothing wrong with Lockjaw because he just keeps his fucking mouth shut. And more importantly, part of his purpose is to teleport Inhumans away. <laughs> and that's God's work. That's important. <laughs> I like him because of that. I also like Black Bolt. Because he shuts the fuck up. <laughs> he can just be in the corner. Brooding. Otherwise, fuck the Inhumans. I don't care. I'm not looking forward to the new TV show. I, you can't make me do it, Marvel. You can't. He doesn't care. He has zero fucks. We've checked. Exactly. Wait, which one of us has zero fucks? About the Inhumans. I, I, you. Oh, okay. All right. I, I, I also probably do. But I mean, I don't think Ike Perlmutter's... Uh, waiting by his podcast downloader to see what I feel about the Inhumans. Why can't I get them to care? Because nobody cares. Nobody cares. Literally nobody cares. Pause for beer. Have a beer. Enjoy that beer. Mmm, beer. Ah, beer. But So yeah, it was, it was good to see Johnny Storm again. Like the old school Johnny Storm. I miss the fucking Fantastic Four. I hope when this is all said and done, we get that back. Yes. Interesting with this, I honestly, the humor starts on the cover because you, you see Peter Parker pulling his shirt open to become Spider-Man and the shirt has a mustard stain yeah, on it. Yeah, big mustard stain on it. Spider-Man's supposed to be funny. Spider-Man is supposed to be fun and funny and Dan Slott does fine. I think it was a major misstep to make Spider-Man a millionaire, billionaire, whatever he is. Yeah. It just, it doesn't work. With this, we get, 
Yeah, it's we've got Johnny Storm, we've got Aunt May, we've got a dating problem right out of the gate that's kind of interesting for Spider-Man in that, yeah, somebody just comes up and hits on him. This is... <laughs> This is two comics in a row that treat stand-up comedy like it's a vibrant going concern instead of a soul-sucking fucking boondoggle that will leave you a broken, drunken human being hosting a comics podcast one day. Rob has feelings. I, I have issues, and I wake up screaming occasionally. <laughs> yeah, we have get a weird thing with Peter's family. Peter's family has been such the weird black box for so long. I mean, well, how do you feel about Spoiler's final reveal of... Yes, Peter's off being Spider-Man, standing up Johnny Storm for their movie hangout, and uh, Johnny meets somebody who supposedly is Peter's sister, who we've never seen before. I have questions, but I was more hung up on the fact that the girl that was hitting on Peter Parker said that she was going to be free during the day because she had stand-up sets all night. And I'm, I'm, I'm wondering... Okay, fine, but you still need a job because yeah, you, you're showcasing some, and you're not getting paid. Yeah, that's uh, clearly Zdarsky uh, has not spent a lot of time in stand-up comedy. The way stand-up in cities work is, it, particularly in New York, yeah, there's a ton of clubs all over the place, and the reason they're all able to continue going is they really hardly ever pay anybody. They pay some people on the weekends, but for the most part, they're showcase clubs. Yeah. I wasn't anticipating on giving a little lesson in stand-up comedy, but what the fuck. <laughs> so, yeah, people go and hang out and just try to get on the show, and these things open at, like, 7 and close at 3 in the morning, and, yeah, they just pull people, and the host will get paid some money. But for the most part, yeah, you can have five sets a night in New York. I mean, unless she's got some sort of weird internet business where she's making money selling used panties or something to supplement her you know, lack of income while she's doing showcase sets... <laughs> Which is possible. Yeah. Well, it's, it, if, you, if you're not part of the comedy world, the assumption is probably, oh, I'm going out and getting paid. Well, not in New York, you're not. No. That's why most of the New York comics go out of New York City on the weekends because that's where the money is. Even here in Boston, mm. in the Boston clubs, yeah, you only get paid on the weekend. Yeah, you got to go out in New England and to the darkest parts of Maine to get any kind of money on the weekend. Yeah, she might have... She might have 10 sets a week in New York clubs, but yeah, she needs to be doing something for some money somewhere. Yes. And that's a thing that only you and I would probably understand out of all the people (laughs) talking about comics on the internet, but that is a a valid thing. Uh, Chip, if you're listening, she's not making a living at these shows in New York, bro. Well, maybe we're going to find some weird like reveal, like maybe she is some sort of weird um, hanger-on of superheroes, and she dates them for a while and gets money from them. I don't know. (laughs) Trying to be Spider-Man's Joker, like we don't already have the Green Goblin. I don't know where it comes from, but yeah, that did, that rang false to me, but I understood why it rang false. Yeah. It's, somebody doesn't understand that particular part of the business. I've seen Grant Morrison and Neil Gaiman write about comedy with the same kind of, all right, that's not how it is. (laughs) That's that's not how it works. That's not how any of this works. Okay. But anyway, you were asking me about Teresa and yes, I was, like I said, distracted by that other part of the story. It's like, Oh, okay. So here we have somebody who is new. She is a menace. Perhaps. Well, well, as a story, (laughs) and I'm worried for Johnny storm who is about to go out on a date with her sight unseen. Uh, (laughs) Yes. Like life unseen until now. Yes, and uh, I, I forget who was the girl who hit on Peter, the comedian, uh, something or other, London. Yeah, last name was London. The conceit of making her a comedian 
works for Spider-Man because now you've got somebody Peter can banter with, believably. Yes. Uh, Rebecca London. There you go. Yeah, it's somebody that Peter can banter with, believably, which I liked. The yes. fact that she only knows he's Spider-Man, I mean, does he reveal his secret identity? Well, that'll be an awkward date. <laughs> Yeah, it's not like Superman who can just sort of fly a <laughs> fly up in the air and tell you I can't see your underpants because you're behind a lead pot. I mean, that's it. one of the one of the tricks with Spider-Man is populating the world and doing the world building with things that. Whoa, are, are, Spider-Man's not populating the world. It's not. It's a family book. <laughs> Sorry. With with um, that was bad. It's Nobody hard to do that. world building in in a world that is already so well established. Yeah. But one of the things that Zdarsky managed to do here is come up with not one, not two, but three potential threats, like, out of the gate. Yeah. It's uh, the Tinkerer's brother, I thought was awesome. Yeah. It just, yeah, the concept of, uh, number one, going back to the old, ever since Bendis did Avengers, it, it has been a going thing of Spider-Man moving more and more up in the world and being an Avenger. And But, yeah, old school Spider-Man was off on his own, and nobody particularly trusted him. So, yeah, the idea of this massive tech guy that... Everybody uses that nobody wants to tell Spider-Man about. I, yeah. I kind of like that. Did they just assume I knew? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's uh, well, maybe they thought I was smart enough I didn't need him. And Ant-Man says, yeah, Tony Stark thinks you're smarter than he is. <laughs> Ant-Man, I thought, was well used in this. Yes. It's uh, Ant-Man, well, look, he's, he's got a Marvel movie, so he by nature is going to get a continually increasing... <laughs> Higher profile. Yeah, in Marvel Comics, it's, uh, Nick Spencer's been doing a hell of a job writing him. Again, I like Nick Spencer. Thank God there's no Secret Empire book to talk about this week. <laughs> Did you hear the rumor that among all oh, of the God Marvel all of the Marvel legacy things that are being reduced, uh, reduced introduced, there is no Captain America, no uh nothing with Steve Rogers so far? It's cuz they can't give away the end of the book. Uh, didn't they announce somewhere you told me you saw somewhere on the internet that it's been announced that Sam Wilson is going back to be in the Falcon? Yes. So, look, there's going to be a Captain America. It's just a question of who. I think they've already hamstrung themselves by saying, oh, it's not going to be Sam Wilson. All right, so it's going to be some Steve Rogers or another. Let's face it, Infinity War is coming out. Give it to Sharon Carter. She's earned it. (laughs) Why not? (laughs) Infinity formula her up. Yeah. Like Nick Fury and give her the shield. Fuck it. Do it. I'm good with it. Do it, Marvel. (laughs) Except now Marvel's complaining they think nobody wants diversity. So, oh no, they're not going to do another gender swap of a superhero. Nut up and just do it. (laughs) Just do it, Marvel. Do it. Come on, do it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Anyway, uh, so yeah, back to Teresa. We've gone far afield again. Yeah, so Teresa, uh, and there was this other other character that Spider-Man busted in on in Chicago. That looks vaguely like they... Vaguely like Ironheart. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. Or the Shocker. Somebody. <laughs> it's possible. It's... Can you show me? You opened it up. When I looked at it, I thought, it, yeah, it's, it's clearly a Stark character. It, it it probably is some sort of Stark character. And that yeah. makes more sense because he's gone there to figure out who's hacking a Stark phone, which is supposedly yeah. unhackable. Yeah, I did love the little moment of, oh, ooh, you said hack. You must be technical. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hacking doesn't work that way. Flirting levels approaching nine. <laughs> oh. <laughs> You're an imbecile. Why would you say? Because <laughs> watching this woman hit on Peter Parker was fucking painful. <laughs> hey, he's a good-looking something. 
I have questions about whether or not she can pull off a set based on that, <laughs> frankly. Oh, come on. Even a moron can do a tight three at Stand Up New York. I'm living proof. <clears throat> they only gave you three minutes? Uh, no, I got five, actually, yeah. I had to bring a bunch of people. Yeah. That's the other thing about all Fucking these. Fucking bringer shows. Yeah, you're showing up to New York sight unseen and you're doing sets without having to stand outside and give out flyers and then bring 20 people? No. Yeah, I I went to New York to do a few sets because I was thinking about moving there to do stand-up. And I'd been a Boston comic for about eight years. So I had a long track record. And it didn't matter. I could have come from comedy Jesus. Then it was still, you don't bring three people, you don't go on stage because we don't know who you are. Right. So, yeah. The, all right, look, the stand-up comedy part of this is bullshit. <laughs> it works for the story. I'm willing to accept it because it's a story about a man who can stick to walls and swing through the air. Yes. Maybe stand-up comedy just works this way in Marvel Comics. I'm well, okay that's the with funny that. part is earlier when he's talking about going to the movies with Johnny Storm, uh, he said, anything but a superhero movie. <laughs> I need something that's escapist. Yes, that was kind of cool. <laughs> and we're sitting here picking apart the fucking stand-up part yeah. of it. <laughs> it's, look, this is a funny, fun book. Forget about the stand-up. Unless you're a stand-up comedian, you're not going to have any problems with uh, with that new character. It's wrong. Uh, it's wrong and he knew it. <laughs> Wait, I can't find it. There we Uh-oh. go. It was wrong and you knew it. I, I really got to redo some of the tags <laughs> on these things. But, but back to Teresa. Um, she's drawn to look like she is a member of the Parker family. So who is she? We have never heard of her before. Yeah, and even in the uh, retelling of the origin story, they made a big point of, oh, my aunt and uncle took me in, yeah. so referencing the parents are gone. So, like I said, Peter's family has been such a black box. At one point or another, his dad's been a scientist or a spy or some kind of Hydra agent or some shit. It's literally, it's it's a story black box you can just dump anything out of. Yeah. So, I'm willing to see where it goes. It's It's interesting. It's not a thing I've ever seen before, mentioned anywhere before, so what the hell? Yeah. It's like he's trying to do new shit, which is kind of cool. New shit that isn't along the lines of, oh, what if Peter Parker were Tony Stark? <laughs> yes. We got Tony Stark. I've never exactly. needed that. I don't want to see that. No. But yeah, it's a, I had a lot of fun. It's a funny book. Adam, Adam, not Andy, Adam Kubert's art mm-hmm. is, a, is solid. Yeah, it's a, I had a lot of fun with this book. I did too. It's, it's very enjoyable. It, it's good to have a good old fashioned fun Spider Man book with dating <laughs> dating soap opera elements and old superhero camaraderie. It's a, I didn't realize how much I missed it. So I'll buy this one. Yes. For God's sake. Yes. Anything else on no Spider Man? Good. All right, we'll be, we'll be brief on this one. This is just purely because again with my quick show preparation today, <laughs> it's how it shook out. We got another Marvel event, kids. Buckle down. It's not going to get real good. How do you really feel about this book? Uh, well, it's kind of a bummer because I, I kind of had some hopes coming into it. But all right. WMD, Weapons of Mutant Destruction, number one, written by Greg Pak, art by uh, Mahmoud Osrar. What kind of parents would name their kid that? That button's getting a workout today, man. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to talk long about this because. Uh, on one level, the last thing I need is another big, overblown Marvel event in my life. Well, it's only it's, it's taking over two books, three books, two books. It's going to cross out into total, Totally Awesome Hulk and Weapon X. Which, okay, fine. Mini and event. The main reason I had hope for this was Greg Pak and Amadeus Cho, Totally Awesome Hulk, uh, which is a character I really like that I think Pak has always 
had a great handle on. But yeah, this uh, number one. All right, this book is the fucking Terminator. Yeah, Can we just get that of. out of? The, we've got cyborgs that pass as people or cats or cats. Or That's a whole horses. different stone bummer, but it's, uh, yeah, evil cyborgs that look like people who can come from out of nowhere to kill you. That's the Terminator. I've seen this movie 50 dozen times uh, since 1984. I don't need it again. It is to a certain degree, but this is, this is the next iteration of the Weapon X program. I, I think I had fewer problems with this than you did, and also coming off of um, the Logan movie with the idea that there's a corporation out there that's trying to control genetics so as to deal with the mutant problem in their eyes. This feels like a an outgrowth from events from that movie. Which I can understand and I can kind of get behind. And I can tell by the cover we're going to move into, oh no, it's not cyborgs now. It's hulks with extra healing factors and claws. Yeah. Because why not? Everyone loves a mashup, I suppose. But the the Terminator element of Would all this... Would it just fight itself? <laughs> just punch itself in the so nuts? It looks at itself in the mirror and it's like, I'm, I'm insanely angry. Ah. <laughs> it could be. I suppose it's possible. <laughs> yeah, it's the parallel that you brought up of there were elements of this in uh, the movie Logan. Yeah, and that might be part of the inspiration of this. It's, oh, people responded to that, so let's bring it into this. But... The biggest problem that I had was in the movie Logan, what was happening at whatever the name of that company was, mm-hmm. was shown to us via the eyes of somebody who was trying to get them out of it. Yes. So it was a sympathetic viewpoint of what was happening to them. From behind the scenes, you weren't in the labs with, you know, you saw everybody in human moments and saw some of the tragedy of what was going on and the treatment of these kids. We open up WMD with the pure banality of evil of somebody delivering a pizza to people working in this place while people are being tortured and experimented on and everybody just sort of treats it as, oh, yeah, we're all just, oh, great, there's pizza here at work. And so that is, it's well, there's legitimately the- disturbing, which is okay. It is, but it also sets the tone. You you get the, the sense that these people are evil because somebody ordered ham on the pizza. At least it wasn't pineapple. At the very least, it wasn't pineapple. <laughs> That's a good joke. Okay. <laughs> but then from there, I, I think what helped me feel like it was less a, a Terminator thing and more of a, we're going back into Weapon X, is William Stryker's involved in this. He's the Reverend William Stryker, and he's delivering these anti-mutant zealots to this new facility to be the basis of these new cyborgs. Yeah, and the striker, uh, not a reveal because we knew he was involved previous to this, but the striker scene was one of the stronger ones to me in the sense that I like villains who don't think they're the villain. Yeah. And and there was the moment where uh, the main scientist, whose name I forget at this point, uh, is saying, look, just send people. Who gives it? Because Stryker is trying very hard to find devoted, pious, dedicated volunteers to the cause to undergo this experimentation. And the main scientist is saying, just give us breathing meat. We're going to dump them in this vat anyway. Right. He's like, no, we're we're creating soldiers, not monsters. We're fighting monsters. And that's a great character beat for someone who is just awful but thinks he's right yeah. and is trying hard to do what he thinks is the right thing. But they also add these other layers, and I know it bothered you, 
when Amadeus and Lady Deathstrike go to try to follow up on the family of one of the, you want to call them victims until you find out later that they're all volunteering for this shit. Right. And you realize, you you find out what a, a monster the kid's mom is and how that might have set him down the path to become... To find some kind of meaning, salvation in life. Yeah. Yeah, but <laughs> in order to do that, and this just strikes home, and I never would have believed I would say this 10 years ago, but now that we have a cat, yeah. to demonstrate that with, uh, put your cat in the sack and drown it. It's like, uh, do I really need to be shown that people are human fucking garbage? That's why I'm reading this comic book about magical superheroes to kind of get away from. Yeah. That no. said, I've said a million times, I don't need my hand held but it, it just felt like there were moments in this that were mean. That opening, that opening with just a, yep, hey, we're all just people working here. And uh, ignore the screams. You'll get used to it. Uh, don't worry. We'll, we'll have everybody murdered soon or whatever. And yeah, all right, we're murdering a cat over here. And we've got cats that have been experimented on to turn them into killing machines. And they have to call out the point of, oh, these poor animals. Uh, yeah, we've got six dead fucking cats in this book. Yeah. yeah no, you're, you're not wrong. But I think, at the very least, the scene with the horrible individual that is the kid's mom and the fact that Amadeus had to find out just how horrible she was yeah. is supposed to... Because the balance they're trying to give you in this story is out of everybody who is on Logan's assembled team and, and he's reached out already to let Kitty Pride know what was up and that, no, he doesn't need any backup. And so we could be sending in kinder, gentler mutants to help with this. <laughs> he's, he's got Logan, Sabretooth, Lady Deathstrike, Domino, and uh, a Warpath, yep. and then Amadeus Cho. So we've got <laughs> five people who kill you as soon as look at you, especially if there's money involved, and Amadeus Cho. Where's Deadpool? Deadpool could put a smile on this book. One would wonder, frankly. But everybody who's gone through the Weapon X program, yeah, yeah. (laughs) maybe he'll turn up later. I don't know. He's he's busy with his like eight titles. His eight titles, (laughs) uh, being a Hydra agent. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. All right, you got a point there. And it may have just been a writing choice on Pax's part of you know I want the lightness in this book to be Amadeus Cho. Yes, I don't want to have him overshadowed by Deadpool, which is a legitimate choice. And I'm fine with that. I don't. I like the totally awesome Hulk. I like Amadeus Cho. I don't want him overshadowed. But it also makes you wonder, as a storytelling point for me. So they've gone out of their way to he he is the bright spot. He's he's the one who's most likely to do good. And and Logan says as much because he's trying to be as as a leader as best he can amongst this motley crew. This crew that cannot be led. <laughs> no. So he says things to Amadeus Charlie, I'm sending you with Lady Deathstrike so that she doesn't go too far and you can you can pull her back in. Meanwhile, I say to Lady Deathstrike, you're going to be the one that needs to do what needs to be done because the kid probably can't do it. Yeah. <laughs> well, he's demonstrated he can't do it. That's that's part of why oh, I need to show Amadeus Cho what the world is like. We spent a long arc with him dealing with the murder of his best friend by a founding of not a founding avenger, but an avenger. Yes. And going on a complete, almost anti-establishment hunt for revenge that only at the last minute he understood it's not going to make anything better. And this poor guy just was doing what he thought he had to do. But we've he's seen the darkness. 
He has. Did I need to see a cat thrown in a sack and drown? And we don't see him get drowned. It's voiceover on the cell phone video of this broken human being who felt the need to make a cell phone video of a drowning cat. And keep it. Yeah. To beat off, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Like the first five minutes of the bronze. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay. Don't watch the bronze. <laughs> I, I suffered, so you don't have to. I am as unto Christ. <laughs> no, no, watch the bronze. Naked Sebastian Stan, watch the bronze, for fuck's sake. All right, you and I have different priorities, and that's fine. That's all right. <laughs> I don't, yeah, Amadeus Cho, I don't necessarily need to see shown the darkness in that way. It felt gratuitous to me. There were parts of this book that felt gratuitous. And I am not a shrinking violet. I don't mind violence in comic books. I don't have a high opinion of humanity to start with. And maybe it just caught me in the wrong mood of, uh, uh, really? All right. Yep. Torture. And yep. People suck. But oh, and now we've killed a cat. It's the fifth dead cat we've seen in this book. Yeah. It makes me really wonder how Greg Pak feels about cats. But you got to find the right cat, buddy. <laughs> Trust me, I wasn't a cat guy before we had one. I, I think, felt more positively about this book than you did overall. I like Amadeus Cho. I like Logan. We have mostly the members of X-Force here. Mm. <laughs> and and Sabretooth. <laughs> yeah. So it, I I liked it. I'm, I'm willing to go with it. I'll follow it over the various crossover books. I don't have as strong a negative feeling uh, about this as I do with Secret Empire. I thought there was really good interplay between a lot of the members of the team particularly Sabretooth and Domino yeah. and, uh, Christ, what's his name? I forgot. Warpath. Warpath, thank you. As they were doing the training in air yeah. quotes, <laughs> you know, just to show that, okay, yep, we're just as badass as you and we can do some stuff with teamwork. It's, I still really like Amadeus Cho. I'm glad that he is not the center of an event because let's face it, I, I think it probably took, fine, we'll use Wolverine or Old Man Logan as the hook to have an event that Amadeus Cho is a big part of. Mm -hmm. And that's fine with me, because I think he's a great incarnation of the Hulk, and I've just always loved that character. I think a thing to consider in terms of the darkness that he's being exposed to here is, yes, he's coming off of an arc where he's dealing with his feelings about Bruce Banner's death, but he was still surrounded by people who kept him good and centered. His sister and Black Panther and everybody else who had his best interests at heart. That is true, and frankly, I would rather read this than the uh, interval arc between those two where the Hulk hung out with Jeremy Lin uh, <laughs> from the New York Knicks. Yeah, I kind of, I let those issues sort of slide. I tried it. I gave it, it may just be I'm not a basketball fan, but it's like, okay, it's a, this is just not working for me. And it's, I got it. It was, it was all Asian heroes working together and dealing with how people have perceptions of Asians. And so there was a noble purpose there, except they were, the Hulk was working with a basketball player. And Wait, I think I saw that when it was Space Jam. I never saw that because I am a fucking grown human being. <laughs> and I was when that movie came out. But so yeah, that part of it didn't work for me. So I'm glad to have, uh, fine, here's a superhero story without an athlete thrown into it Yeah, for somebody's marketing purposes. But yeah, it's a, in a lot of ways, it was a downer. Mm -hmm. uh, and there were elements there. It's, uh, all right. It's, I know the Weapon X program is terrible. I read Weapon X. Mm. I've seen it. I saw what it did to Logan. Yeah, no, I, I think I'm, I'm just generally more open-minded, I think, about 
where this could go. Whereas I, I think you're, you have event fatigue and that's okay. I also have event fatigue, but <laughs> <laughs> all smart people should damn it. <laughs> but but I, I think there's enough going on here in terms of just how the characters interact with one another and in general, what they're setting up for what's going to be going on later on with these characters you're right. The strongest character beat in this story is is Stryker and how he establishes his position and how he firmly believes he's the hero of this story. Yeah, that was really strong. And I agree with you on some of the interplay. I, I didn't hate it. It didn't really work for me very well. I thought there was a lot of mean-spirited stuff there that just kind of turned me off. It's like, I know all this. Yeah. And it's... It's a bummer. And maybe it just caught me on the wrong day in the wrong mood. Because like I said, I'm not a shrinking violet. I am certainly not one of the people who says, all I want out of my comic books is escapism. Just make me forget that anything is bad in the world. And I'm not one of those people. But that kind of bummed me out. And it took away some of my enthusiasm for it. I'll, okay. It, I'm not punching out. We've established from Secret Empire. It takes a lot for me to say, yep, I'm done. Yeah, I mean, let me let me remind you, there's... No Nazi cap in this book so far. And uh, that, that's another great positive. It seems to be happening in a whole different world. And yes. no Blue Wang. <laughs> I'm all right with Blue Wang as long as it's within a particular 12 issues that were put out in 1985 and 1986. <laughs> Actually, 1986 and 87. Either way. As opposed to Smurf slash Vic. What? I got that on my RSS feed. <laughs> that's the only way I can come anymore. Ha! I have no response to that. I do. <laughs> oh, I wish I was dead. <laughs> and? Yeah, it's not for everybody. Nope. <laughs> I will give this another chance, but yeah, it turned me off more than it did you. And that's fine. We don't have to agree on everything. It'd be creepy if we did. It's true. So Amanda would give this a higher recommendation than I would. Yes. Uh, I, I thought it was yeah kind of mean and a bummer. But Rob likes Blue Wang, so let's just the takeaway from this. Oh, uh, that's not the takeaway from this. <laughs> that's not what. That's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. <laughs> Anything else on this? And then you want to talk very briefly because I only read a couple of them, and I don't have any particular notes on it. I read them just before we did the show. But yeah, this is another week where DC had a bunch of somewhere along the line. DC uh, via Warner Brothers picked up the rights to uh, all the. Looney Tunes characters, because they're all under the Warner Brothers roof. Yes. Uh, they also picked up a lot of the Hanna-Barbera action. That's how we got uh, the Johnny Quest characters, but also Flintstones, which just wrapped up, which was spectacular, and which, yeah, we need to add to the list of your at least your favorite books, although I also really liked it. Uh, the Flintstones 12-issue series yes. was fucking gold, man, which I wouldn't have believed. The minute you said, pick up the, the Flintstones for me, I'm like, what are you, high? But I felt that way when the owner of our local comic store said, yeah, Afterlife with Archie. Pick that up. An Archie book? Are you stupid? <laughs> this has been another week where we've had a lot of DC and Marvel. DC, rather, has done this a couple of times. DC characters crossing over with Looney Tunes characters. Yes. So I read a couple of them. Uh, have you read them all, Amanda? I've read all of them so far except for the Bugs Legion one. Oh, you're not the biggest Bugs Bunny fan. And, uh, or no, Legion fan. Nobody other than Jeff Johns. <laughs> And maybe one or two other people are a Legion fan yeah, at that level. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it's probably going to be entertaining. I, I have read so far uh, Lobo Run- Roadrunner. Um, I mean, these just <laughs> these sound ridiculous. Wonder but, Woman, Tasmanian Devil. Yeah, that's... Why? And, and then yet, this is the only one that kind of makes sense. Marsh, Mar- uh, Martian Manhunter. 
Marvin the Martian. Right. That one I haven't read yet. <laughs> Ironically, the one that looks like it would make sense. <laughs> but And that's by Steve Orlando, right? Yeah. So yeah, by out of all of these, my favorite creator. That one I haven't read yet. But. It's good. Um, that one is, if you're, if you're a Martian Manhunter fan, it's very tonally accurate to Martian Manhunter in terms of his... I- the fraught relationship with humanity because he looks so very different, even though he's living in a world with all these metas and things that, you know, Clayface. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, he's, he's the freaky one and people can't trust him. So, yeah, it's possible that the Martian Manhunter fan out there is listening. <laughs> <laughs> um, meanwhile, there's, these are all structures. That then there's a shorter backstory about eight pages at the end. And that one is, if you're old school Looney Tunes, Marvin the Martian fan, you're going to love that. It's, it's, both sets of fans get what they need out of the book, I felt. Well, the the two that I read, it seemed like the eight-page story that was more in a Looney Tunes cartoony style was sort of a continuation of the original. Yeah, or... that's the only one that does. Well, no, actually, no. Lobo kind of does the same thing in yeah. a way. But they, yeah, Wonder Woman, I think they did it that way. It, she she makes music to soothe the savage beast. <laughs> yeah, that was really... Uh... That was probably my favorite, Wonder Woman and the Tasmanian Devil. Yes. Uh, who was the creative team on that? You've got the Tony uh, Bedard, and the art was by Barry Kitson. Yeah, the the opening story. The on opening it. Yeah. story, particularly the opening story. Yeah, it's they try to take the concept of all right, if there were a Tasmanian Devil in the DC universe, what would that be? Right. And it's a very minotaurish, mythical beast that can barely communicate sort of on a high level that, yeah, is just unstoppable almost. And yes. it really kind of works. And by, yeah, putting it along the lines of the Minotaur fits right in with the Wonder Woman mythology. Sure. It was surprisingly entertaining and, and almost heartbreaking in parts. Yeah, it, it's, I, I'm a fan. It, and the idea that they're able to actually sort of get some sort of coherent narrative out of this. Yeah. Um, by having him, yeah, he's a guardian of the labyrinth, and the labyrinth is far more far-reaching than one would expect based on what we know from mythology, where it's supposedly under the, the palace in Crete. In yes, fact, and just guarded by the Minotaur. Yeah, this apparently goes out and is everywhere. <laughs> so there's all sorts of entry points, and therefore there are all sorts of guardians, of which the Tasmanian Devil is one. Yep. And the the whole you know, super speed whirling vortex thing is worked in in a way that makes sense, and his voracious appetite <laughs> is worked yeah. in there. Um, the the big reveal is that Wonder Woman can understand him, and that if if more people understood the Tasmanian Devil, perhaps he would have a a less uh, difficult relationship with those around him. Yeah, and she uh, puts the lasso on him at one point, and he actually speaks, and it's like, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was kind of heartbreaking. <laughs> you went away, and you took your music with you. It's like, oh, man. Yeah, supposedly. He's just lonely. <laughs> yeah, supposedly Wonder Woman, as a child, came across him and, yeah, soothed him with music, like in at least one of the old Looney Tunes cartoons. Yeah. And then left, and yeah, the I wasn't angry at you. You took the music away. It's like, oh my god, why am I? Why do I have feelings <laughs> about the fucking Tasmanian devil? Yeah. What's happening to me? <laughs> I just I want to see this. I want to see a spinoff where this is. Yeah, we, this is what we see. It's like a, a the buddy cop of of Wonder Woman and Tasmanian Devil and their adventures. I, I, I see this. <laughs> That'd be all right. <laughs> Yeah, that was I think the best of of the ones that I read. The other one I read was uh was Lobo and Roadrunner. Yes, <laughs> which also sounds retarded. That <laughs> just sounds stupid. But 
It really worked. It, it does. Uh, and it gets into this whole thing where Acme was actually a laboratory and they they had these experiments shortly after the Roswell crash where they were trying to fuse alien DNA with human animals so they could see how it interacted with Earth creature DNA and thus creates, you know, uh, Roadrunner and Wiley e. Coyote and yeah. Sam the Dog, Sheepdog. Yeah, hyper-intelligent, yep. almost immortal. Yep. So no matter what happens, they recover from it and they just go for years and, and years and years. And impervious to damage. Right. <laughs> Yeah, and finally it turns out <laughs> Roadrunner puts a contract out. No, no, no it's... Lo, uh, Wiley Coyote puts a contract out on Roadrunner with Lobo. Yes. And Lobo is stuck in all the old Roadrunner thrown off cliffs yep. and blown up. <laughs> and he tries to use <laughs> shitty Acme equipment and it goes wrong on him. Yep. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting take on Wiley Coyote, although it reminded me a little bit, we were talking about this before the show, Wiley Coyote sort of has a place in DC Comics because of Grant Morrison's Animal Man issue, the Coyote yes. Gospel. Yes. And it feels like there's a certain amount of, I don't want to say it's the same coyote, but a certain amount of nodding toward that. Yes. To then say Lobo's a part of this and no more successful than Wiley Coyote is. It was, I thought, a really entertaining read because in order to bring Lobo to Earth, Wiley Coyote has to inter- intercept him while he's on the way to another job. Yep. <laughs> and in order to come to Earth to do the Coyote's job, Wiley Coyote has to go finish Lobo's other contract, which is to take out Kilowog. <laughs> yeah. So, well, on behalf of, of a, a, a loser former lantern who get drummed out of the core yeah, and felt so, embarrassed by it. So Kilowog is just beating on Wiley Coyote who can take it because yeah. he's Wiley Coyote. <laughs> so he kind of earns Kilowog's respect. But what I loved was in order to get Lobo's attention when Wiley Coyote uh, goes into space and intercepts Logo, he had the big signs like he had in the cartoon when, yes. he, when he couldn't talk of, the, I want to hire you. I am rich. <laughs> <laughs> so like the big old uh-oh signs he would hold up just before he falls off the cliff. Yes. So yeah, they... they They've done really good work with all of these Looney Tunes crossovers of bringing elements from the cartoon into the comic and then vice versa with the backup stories that are more Looney Tunes style. Like in, in the Lobo one, it's, uh, okay, Bugs Bunny hires him to to take out the Roadrunner, but in a cartoony way. And, and that's where, yeah, it's one of those, okay, I'll put a bomb on a slingshot and it just drops at his feet and blows him <laughs> up. And he's like, why can't I curse? What's what's all, for, all my curse words? Oh, no, you're in a cartoon now. This is family-friendly. You're contractually obligated to be family-friendly. Yes. Right? Well, I don't shirk a contract. <laughs> exactly. The main man's word is his bond, for Christ's sake. <laughs> so, yeah, not having read the others, I, I can't really address them, but I read a few of the other ones. You have insisted on picking these up. I have resisted you every step of the way on these you, Looney Tunes DC trust books. me. On, didn't you have more fun reading this than, than reading Weapons of Mutant Destruction? Absolutely. All right. It's these the, the those two books were the most fun of this week because that's that's all they are. They're fun and and yet they still have the ability to bring some emotion into yeah. it. Yeah, I'll say this though: um, actual like non Looney Tunes Wiley Coyote kind of terrifying to look at. Uh, There's this whole like Wolfman thing going on with it where when he's upright, where it's like, Ew. <laughs> I I give all the creative teams credit uh, on the DC Comics front stories on this 
that they don't try to cartoon it up. They, Kelly, they, Kelly Jones is the artist. For yeah, this I mean, one. God, Kelly Jones on uh, yeah the Lobo book. Number one, he's a great artist to start with. So yeah, there's a ton of detail in it. I found that that one I was just going to flip through real quick before the show, and it just slowed me right down to yeah. enjoy the art on it. <laughs> but all the creative teams have really done solid work in saying we're going to take this cartoon concept and make it fit into the DC universe. Yes. As opposed to just throwing their hands up and say, all right, fine, it's a Tasmanian devil, whatever. No, they really worked hard on it. Yeah. And it, it works. For something that could be perceived as a gag because they have access to these characters now, it, it feels more like, no, this is a, a thoughtful interpretation of these characters. When I started seeing these books, that's exactly the way I took it. It's like, this is just, it's a stupid publicity stunt and I don't care. Excuse me, I've never been a fan of the Flintstones or... And the Flintstones is one of my top books. Like when we when we get to the the Crises Awards six months from now, <laughs> yeah, we talked about a few uh, a few weeks ago. I forget which book it was. It might have been the Flintstones that had the preview of the Jetsons mm. uh, that Jimmy Palmiotti and I think Amanda Connor are both writing. That opens with an assisted suicide story, and yeah. that's how Rosie becomes Rosie. <laughs> so Jesus, fuck. <laughs> All right, they're doing really good work with these. I thought it was a gimmick, same as I'm sure half the comics reading public, but I don't know what happened with Rebirth. I don't know if they started putting mild sedatives in the water cooler (laughs) or if they're handing out medicinal weed. I don't know what it is. But yeah, DC for the last 15 months has not done very much wrong, minus forcing Watchmen into shit. Jeff Johns is distracted with the movie business. Now's our chance. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I, I have no idea. If you told me a year ago that, yeah, the Flintstones would be one of the better books of the last year, I'd have laughed in your face. If you'd said Lobo Roadrunner, I might have struck you in anger. <laughs> Not you, Amanda, but well, uh, this you. theoretically human, theoretical human being. But they're really good. I really enjoyed them. Anything else on those? No, or? just if, you, if you're looking for something different to distract you from other things in your polls that may be less successful that you're trying to keep up with regardless, get these new Looney Tunes books. Yeah, I mean, they're hard books for me to review like in the way I normally review them for this because I try to take continuity into account and there's no continuity at all to this. Yeah, they're just fun and, the, and there's uh, nothing wrong with a good, fun comic. Particularly, I read both of those after Weapons of Mutant Destruction, and I felt better. Yes. And that's good. And I will say this, if you, particularly if you pick up the Lobo book, uh, Lobo Roadrunner book, there is, I'm not going to spoil, spoil it, but there is a neat thing at the very end with Wile E. Coyote that then you can just kind of see how it plays out in terms of next, what's next for Roadrunner and Coyote. Yes, and I, I kind of want to see that, yeah. actually. <laughs> Even if they throw them in the background somewhere. Yeah. Although I would have thought yellow. Uh, actually, no. He no. does not have that ability. Never. Yeah, all right. I've probably already spoiled it. Anyway. <laughs> uh, yeah, these were a lot of fun. Uh, check these out. Yes. You don't... I was going to say, turn your brain off. You don't have to turn your brain off. Just take them as the one and dones that they are. And that's sometimes the best comics that there are. Another one I just want to shout out quickly, Nick Fury 3 by James Robinson and Akko. Yet another installment. I, I know I liked it better than you, so you probably haven't read it yet. No, I read it. It was better than the first one that I read. I think I missed number two. The it's, uh, it, it doesn't matter. They're yeah. all one and dones. But it's, it was better than the first one that I read. I still have some questions about the layout and how 
that impacts the storytelling. And and that's valid. I've been getting a kick out of that book. So it was yet another solid entry this week. So yeah, there are some good books this week. Yes. We we just kind of picked one that bummed me out. <laughs> well, if I like them all, it's not good radio. Exactly. So there you go. At some point, I have to find a piece of garbage in every pile. <laughs> Otherwise, this show sucks. We could talk about the uh, secret empire thing that was supposed to be a Hydra Bob story that wasn't really because it was only three pages long. Oh, yeah, I don't want to talk about okay. secret. Look, I, we've managed to get through most of this episode without me having to start shrieking about secret empire. Okay. Somehow I got in a watchman shriek. Let's quit while we're at all right? <laughs> okay. Anything else? Should we wrap it up? Yeah, we're good. All right. Uh, not sure where you found this particular podcast episode, but you can always find us at our home website, crisisoninfinitemidlives.com. We are on Facebook. I've done more this week with Facebook. So you can send us a message there. Uh, well, t-shirt good. request. T-shirt request. If you want a t-shirt, you can message us through facebook.com slash crisis on infinite midlives. We are on Twitter. Twitter handle is at infinite midlife. We're on Tumblr, crisis on infinite midlives.tumblr.com. We're on iTunes. You can subscribe to the show there. There are many ways you can subscribe to the show. That's probably one of the easier <laughs> ones. And if that's how you get your podcasts, uh, if you can do us a favor, give us a review, give us a rating. It would help new people find the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, where else are we? We're on Google Play. We're on Stitcher Radio. We're on TuneIn Radio. We are proud members of the Comics Podcast Network. And you can always email us with a Dirty Jokes t-shirt request, which we may or may not honor. <laughs> Crisis on Infinite Midlives at gmail.com. Did I miss anything? I think you got everything. All right. Then that is it. This has been episode 154 of the Crisis on Infinite Midlife show. I'm Rob. I'm Amanda. Thank you for listening and derp. You know, would it kill you to come up with a stinger now and again? I can't think of anything. I'm, I'm sorry. I... Yeah, it's not for everybody. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs>